What's good, Rocky Peak? It is great to be with you once again. If you're joining us for the first time, special welcome to you. Welcome to Rocky Peak this weekend. We are so glad you're joining us for our online services. My name is Dre. I'm one of the pastors here. And before we dive in, there's a couple things I want to highlight myself. One, I want to piggyback, piggyback off of what Johnny said. We are heading into life group season, a new session of our life groups. And I got to be honest, that brings me so much joy that no matter what is going on in the world, no matter what is closed or what the result of this pandemic is, life groups at Rocky Peak prevail. And so I want to encourage you as we get ready for this life group season, you know, throughout this August Unleash initiative, I found myself multiple times in groups or individually praying over our life groups here at Rocky Peak. And something I feel that the Lord is downloading to me that this season, yes, is going to be a unique life group season, but also this season of life groups is going to be a significant season of growth. And so I wanted to share that with you because I want to invite you, Rocky Peak, to pr- join me in that prayer. I don't fully understand what that means just yet, but I got a sense that God is going to do some significant growth in our lives and for our church through this next season. And so I not only want to invite you to join me in those prayers, but I want to invite you to be a part of life groups. You should have gotten an email from Michael over these last couple of days that where he got to share a little bit more about just the heart and vision regarding the, uh, regarding the life groups still meeting on Zoom, other life groups meeting in real life, in person. And so I want to encourage you to be able to take a look at that. But again, signups for life groups are going to start on September 11th, Friday, September 11th at 10 a.m. at Rocky Peak. So before, so as we jump into our time of teaching, the second thing I want to ask you to do, take a deep breath, Rocky Peak. Take a few deep breaths. I shared this at one of the prayer nights this past week that often that simple moment, that simple act of taking a breath prepares us. It pauses us to truly listen to what God has to say. I understand it's difficult to still be socially distant. I feel that myself. But what we're about to do right now is not simply interact over a screen, but we're interacting through the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Christ follower, wherever it is that you're watching this from, the Holy Spirit has linked you to your family. As Michael has been saying, we may be socially distant, but we are not spiritually distant. We are not distant from Jesus. And because of the Holy Spirit, we are not distant from one another. And so as we go into this time of teaching, as you get your note sheets ready, as you get your Bibles ready, let that be the focus and let the fact that the Holy Spirit is binding us together remind us that we are gathered spiritually as the church right now. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, you are in control of this time. We are gonna go to your word We are going to come under your authority. We are going to look to you to be what equips us, your power, your strength for spiritual warfare. And so as your church, Lord, we may not be gathered in the same building, but your church is gathered. And whether that's in a home, whether that's alone or with family and friends, whether that's in a park, whether that's in a car, whether that's in a garage, whether it's on an iPad or a phone, whether we're just listening, wherever it is, your Holy Spirit is in us. Your church is gathered to learn from the voice of of our King. And so Jesus, we have come to listen. We have come to follow. And it is in your name, King Jesus, that wherever we're at, we all said, amen. 
Well, Rocky Peak, this weekend, we're going to be continuing the, week, the series that we've been in for the last several weeks called The Resurrected King, Spiritual Warfare in Times of Challenge. And over this series, what we've been doing is we've been discussing the fact that as followers of Jesus, when we give our lives to Jesus, when we commit to come under his authority to listen and follow to his leadership in our lives, we step over a distinct line into a brand new level of spiritual warfare. Now, spiritual warfare for the Christ follower is not an occasional event, but it goes to the very heart and soul of what it means to follow after Jesus. And through this series, one of our key guides has been the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 6, in which he writes that, to tap in, that, that when it comes to warfare, we tap into the power of Jesus, the resurrected king by putting on what he calls the full armor of God. And the full armor of God is what equips us as Christ followers to take our stand and to win the spiritual battles. And so we've been highlighting the seven individual pieces that Paul talks about. And so today, we're going to be moving on to the second piece of the armor of God. And so there at the top or on the very front of your note sheets, I want you to pull it up. I put a couple of verses from Ephesians chapter 6. And wherever you're at, I want you to read it out with me. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Stand firm then with the breastplate of righteousness. Underline that. Stand firm then with the breastplate of righteousness in place. And so today we're going to be unpacking that second piece of the armor, the breastplate of righteousness. And so what Paul is telling us in Ephesians chapter 6 is to be fully equipped for spiritual warfare, we need to regularly put on righteousness. But to be able to put on righteousness requires that we have a clear understanding of what Paul means by righteousness. Because I don't know about you, but I have often found that defining what righteousness is can be really confusing. That a lot of different people have a lot of different answers to the question of what is righteousness. Sometimes we understand it as being religious, maybe. Sometimes maybe we understand it as being a good thing. Maybe righteousness is being a good person or doing good things. Often, we understand righteousness as being a negative thing, mainly when we view it as being self-righteous, which is something I'm going to talk more about later. But regardless of where we come from, for so many of us within the church as well as with outside of the church, we often approach righteousness with way too low of a view of what righteousness is. And so what we need to do is if we're going to put on righteousness, we need God to expand our vision, to open our hearts, to see a much bigger definition of what righteousness is and what righteousness does in our hearts when it comes to spiritual warfare. And so a starting point for understanding what Paul means by righteousness 
is by examining the visual he, used through, he uses in the armor of God by referring to righteousness as a breastplate. And so it would be helpful to understand, to gain some, to put our eyes on what it is he's talking about. So right now on your screens, you're gonna be seeing a couple of examples of ancient breastplates, of ancient breastplates for armor. So the first example you're gonna see is an example of a Greek breastplate. The second slide, the second picture you're gonna see is an example of a Roman uh, breastplate. It's a recreation of some, uh, of some old pieces. And this is likely the type of breastplate around the time that was more common around the time of Jesus, around the time of the Apostle Paul. And if you look at those two examples, we see that these were breastplates that were worn by the regular rank and file, the everyday soldiers. And do you notice that they're not necessarily ornate or ceremonial? They definitely don't look like they do in the movie 300. They were more practical. They were more simple. It wasn't about how they looked. It was about its purpose that made it functional. And so as you put on a breastplate, yes, it's designed to protect your upper body, but the most important thing that a breastplate is designed to protect is your heart. Because it would be possible to continue to fight. It would be possible to survive if you, found, if you were damaged in any other area up here. But if your heart stops, everything stops. And so that's what makes this visual of a breastplate so key to understanding righteousness is that this is true in spiritual warfare as well. True righteousness. In other words, God's righteousness is what both guards our hearts as Christ followers, but as we're going to see, it's also what grows our hearts. And so to be properly equipped to know what it is that we are putting on to understand righteousness, we're going to fight in the most important way we can possibly fight which is going to God's word and allowing his voice to teach and transform. And so there in your note sheet, you've got a section titled Made Righteous by Christ. And if you've got your Bibles, got your apps, open them up, turn them on. We're going to be going to the book of 2 Corinthians in the second half of our Bible, the New Testament. 2 Corinthians, specifically to chapter 5. Now, as you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of context for the scripture we're going to be dropping into. 2 Corinthians is another letter written by the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, and he's writing to Christ followers that live in and around a major Roman city in southern Greece at the time, the city of Corinth. And this entire letter is being written against this backdrop of conflict and turmoil that's brought on by self-righteousness. What we see throughout this letter is that much of the church had begun focusing solely on the external, how you looked, how you, you were perceived by other people, and were discounting the actual state and condition of your heart. They were discounting the internal. And so as Paul writes 2 Corinthians, he writes to refocus the Corinthian church off of the external and back onto the internal. Essentially, Paul says the state of your heart matters. And it's in the internal, in your heart, where Jesus begins his work of transformation. And it's there that then overflows into the external from the inside out. And through that progression, we experience what true righteousness is. 
So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting at verse 16, and have a pen handy or get your highlight function ready because we're going to mark this up. Verse 16, the apostle writes, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Would you underline worldly point of view? Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. Let's stop right there and let me highly encourage you to underline or highlight the entirety of verse 17. And so what Paul begins to do is he's gonna begin to unpack what we call the gospel message as he refocuses the Corinthian church back on the fact that the heart matters. And so he talks about who we used to be before Jesus, the worldly point of view, as Michael's been talking about, the world, the flesh in spiritual warfare. That's who we used to be. That, were our, that was our previous priorities. That was our previous goals, definitions of success. That was what previously made sense. And he said that is is no longer who we are. That's not how we see one another anymore. And that's definitely not how we see Jesus anymore. And then he goes on to the core of verse 17. Again, hear it. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. And so this is a key verse on identity as Christ followers because what he is saying is that because of Jesus, if we are Christ followers under the authority of King Jesus, we are not slightly better people, but what Jesus has done is he has completely transformed us from the inside out, meaning that we no longer resemble the people we used to be. We no longer resemble the culture we are a part of. We are holy new creations that now resemble Jesus and his kingdom. And so as we continue in the scripture, Paul is going to detail how we experience this transformation, specifically what Jesus did for us to experience this transformation. So verse 18, all this is from God. Would you underline this? All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was re reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against him, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. And so we are new creations because of the work of Jesus. We are new creations because of the love, the mercy, the power, the transformation received in Jesus. And we are not new creations because of anything we have done. In no way, shape, or form could I have done anything to deal with my sin issues. But it was solely through the work of Jesus that I am made new because of the reconciliation found in him. And so we saw in those two verses that reconciliation is what we have received as Christ followers. 
that Jesus reconciles us back to God the Father, that Jesus reconciles, reconciles us back to the kingdom of heaven, but also we see that reconciliation is now our mission when it comes to our new identity. That as Christ followers, we have not only received reconciliation through Jesus, we are now called to go out to advance and bring that reconciliation to a world that doesn't yet have it. And he goes on in verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Would you underline that? We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And so as ambassadors, we are now sent out to reflect the character of Jesus, to reflect the character of the kingdom of heaven, which is reconciliation, a reconciliation that leads to righteousness. This new life is no longer about us as an individual, but because of Jesus, we are now beautifully part of something much bigger, the kingdom of God. I recently heard a pastor use this illustration and I really liked it, so I'm going to steal it. And so to really understand what it means to be Christ's ambassador, I want you to picture the medal ceremony at an Olympic Games. And specifically, think about when you're watching the athletes on the podium receive their medals. They specifically honor the gold medal recipient. They honor that recipient by flying a flag, by playing a song, an anthem, but that flag that they wave is not a flag that's plastered with the face of that individual athlete. The anthem that they play is not a song about that specific athlete that's touting their ability and their achievement. No, the flag that they wave is the nation that athlete is a part of. The song that they play is the anthem of the nation that he represents. They do that to show that that athlete, that gold medalist, belongs to something much bigger than simply one person. That athlete is an ambassador of their nation or their kingdom, if you will. And as, they, as an ambassador, that athlete reflects the character of their home nation. And so specifically in the Olympics, when an athlete wins a gold medal, they reflect that their nation is one of strength, is one of discipline, is one of skill, is one of victory. And so to take that illustration and to put it to what Paul is talking about, that as a Christ follower, you are an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven and you are called to reflect the character of the kingdom, which is reconciliation from Jesus that leads to a true righteousness. And that leads us to our final verse of the day, verse 21. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Would you underline that last phrase? So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. And everything Paul has been saying up to this point 
has been given us a foundation and a context for what true righteousness really is so that we can understand what it means to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness is not what God does. Righteousness is who God is. God is right and God makes things right. And through the work of Jesus in our life, he then imparts God's righteousness to us. And in that act, he transforms us so that we now become God's righteousness. Our identity is now the righteousness of God. And as we continue to unpack this, this is the heart of the gospel message that Jesus is our righteousness, that Jesus restored our relationship with God the Father. He restores our relationship with our God-given identity. He restores our relationships with one another. He did that by paying the price for our sin. As our righteousness, he became our justice so that we would experience justification right standing before God the Father so that we would then become righteousness and then take that out to share that reconciliation so that others can experience the righteousness that we have received. That is what it means to put on the breastplate of righteousness. And what is so beautiful about seeing what true righteousness is, is do you see that it is the polar opposite of being self righteous. To be self-righteous means that we are rooted in ourselves rather than rooted in Jesus. Self-righteousness does not seek reconciliation. Self-righteousness simply seeks to win. And self-righteousness is a key attack from the enemy in spiritual warfare. He wants to take the beauty of God's righteousness and he wants to distort it in which it stops being about Jesus and it starts being about us. Where again, we forget the kingdom we represent and instead of seeking reconciliation, we simply seek to win at all costs. And we see this in the characteristic of being self-righteous. That to be self-righteous means that we are smug and arrogant. It means that we are angry and we devalue people. We don't see people, we simply see issues and enemies to be destroyed. And think about some of the most heated issues in your life right now. Think about those areas in which you will find yourself in passionate disagreements. We're living in a difficult season full of disagreements right now, whether it has to do with COVID, whether it has to do with the continual racial injustice we're experiencing as a country, whether it has to do with our family or friends and conflicts and areas within, whether it has to do with our jobs and our place of employment. But think about those places in which you find yourself in passionate, heated disagreements with people in your life. And won't you say, that you experience a very real temptation to not seek reconciliation, but to rather simply seek 
victory. And so how do we deal with that temptation? How do we avoid this trap, this deception of self-righteousness? By putting on the breastplate of God's righteousness that is rooted in him, not us. By putting on the breastplate of God's righteousness, it means that we are committing to remember not in the back of our heads, but at the forefront of our minds each and every day that you and I are the recipients of a beautiful reconciliation. It is a gift, not from my own abilities, but from Jesus himself. And that is how we fight. By putting on God's righteousness, we take our stand we advance and it guards and it grows our hearts. And amen to that. And so with the time we have left as we leave our scripture in 2 Corinthians 5, what I want to do is I want to focus more on what the breastplate of righteousness does in our individual hearts first. Because by putting on the breastplate, it equips us to advance and to go out in the world but before we can do that, putting on the breastplate means that our hearts are being transformed by righteousness first. It starts with us as the house of God. And so I want to unpack that a little bit further. And so there in your note sheet, you've got another section titled, Putting on the Armor. And we're going to be unpacking two truths about righteousness. And the first fill-in is this. Jesus' righteousness is the foundation of our transformed hearts. Jesus' righteousness is the foundation of our transformed hearts. Throughout this series, we have talked often about identity, your identity as Christ followers. And the reason why we have done that is because identity is a key battleground when it comes to spiritual warfare. And in those conversations, in those dialogues and teachings, we have talked about the fact that when the Bible refers to our hearts, it's not simply talking about just our emotions, but it's talking about what's, what is the control center of our body. In other words, when the Bible talks about our hearts, it's talking about our identity. And so when Paul is saying to put on righteousness, he is saying that God's righteousness that has been imparted to you through the work of Jesus is now what defines who you are. Your identity, Christ follower, is now defined by God's righteousness. His righteousness, to be righteous, is not simply an add-on. It's not simply something you occasionally do, but it's who you've become. It's who we've become because of the work of Jesus in our lives. Again, like I talked at the beginning, God's righteousness does not simply make us slightly better people, but it completely transforms everything about us. I love how Clinton Arnold, a scholar that we've brought up a lot throughout the series, puts it there in your note sheet. Although a person may think that he or she is simply making a decision to follow Christ, in the spiritual realm, a supernatural transformation and change have occurred. 
The person's identity is no longer corrupt, but is pure and holy. The Christian is identified by his or her connection to Christ, the age to come, and the kingdom of God. At the center of this person's being now lies a desire for God and a passion to please him in every respect. And what a beautiful way to highlight that, again, this is not a simple adjustment or improvement, but to put on the armor is a complete transformation of our identity. Christ follower, reflect back on when you gave your life to Jesus. Your new life began through a beautiful act of repentance. And it was in that moment in which Jesus invaded your life, in which he put his spirit in you, and that transformed you into God's righteousness. That was when you first put on the breastplate. And when you were transformed into God's righteousness on this side of heaven, that is not an identity of perfection. We are not perfect but it is an identity of growth. See, we were transformed at the moment in which Jesus breathed new life into us, and that began a journey of experiencing more and more of what it means that we are now the righteousness of God. See, a few weeks ago when we were together going through the Beatitudes, do you remember that one of them was blessed is, blessed is the person who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. In other words, blessed is the person who seeks and pursues to experience more of who God is, which is righteous, and more of who he is transforming us to be, his righteousness. And as we experience more, as we put on the breastplate, that means we experience more identity, God's identity, more of who he is creating to be. That means we experience new depths of what it means that we have been and we are continually being reconciled by the work of Jesus. We experience more power so that we can stand our ground and more power so that we can advance and fight the spiritual battles and bring reconciliation to a world that needs it. And this is key because when it comes to spiritual warfare, hear me, Christ followers, the enemy is going after our hearts. The enemy is targeting our hearts. The enemy cannot remove what God has done in our hearts, but he can confuse us. He can deceive us. He can take our focus away from righteousness and onto something else, something smaller, into self-righteousness because he knows that if he can attack our heart, then that means he will attack our identity and it will put space between us and God. And so Paul is charging us, Christ followers, put on the breastplate because by putting on the breastplate, it means that we are actively fighting to both guard and grow our hearts through the righteousness of God. There in your note sheet, I love how Pastor Tony Evans puts it. An important point to note about the breastplate of righteousness is what it is designed to protect, the heart. Once the heart stops, everything else stops. As the heart is the physical pump controlling the flow of blood throughout our body, so the heart, our essence and our core, 
is the spiritual pump that God uses to infuse new life into us. And so specifically, how do we guard? How do we, how do we guard our hearts? How do we fight against the enemy's attacks to our hearts? Well, that leads us to our second feeling. Jesus' righteousness is a gift that is received through repentance. Jesus' righteousness is a gift that is received through repentance. How we guard our hearts, how we fight for our hearts, how we fight for the hearts of others is through repentance. Going back to 2 Corinthians 5, the Apostle Paul taught us that righteousness is received through reconciliation. Reconciliation is experienced through repentance. So understand what Paul is saying. Righteousness is inseparable from repentance. We cannot separate one from the other because if we separate righteousness from repentance, then it becomes self-righteousness. And so to understand righteousness, we need to understand the beauty that and power that is found in repentance. Now I realize when I say that, some of you might be confused and go, wait, did you just use beauty and repentance in the same sentence? See, this act of repentance, this concept of repentance, of confessing our sins to the Lord, I empathize with a lot of you. The truth is for many of us out there, this is a frightening thing, isn't it? This is a, a concept, an act that makes us self-conscious, that makes us nervous, that makes the jibblies inside of us and move around and makes us squirm. Let me ask you something. I want to ask you to reflect wherever it is you're at. When it comes to repentance, what do you picture? What picture comes to mind when you think of repentance? For some of you, I guarantee it's a beautiful picture. But for many of you, your picture is, again, probably something that's frightening. You know, when I reflect back on my own life, there were many years of my life in which when I pictured repentance, I kept going back to this picture of what I would affectionately call a scary religious dude in scary religious robes that is angrily pointing a finger in my face and with the deepest of deep voices screaming, repent, 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 or else God won't love you. And so as I ask, what do you picture when it comes to repentance? Along those lines, what do you emotionally feel when it comes to this act of confessing our sins? See, again, for some of us, maybe we feel joy and happiness and beauty. But for others, what we emotionally feel is very similar to that picture I just described. We, fear, we, we feel fear and guilt and shame and often, that's a result of some of our religious experiences and backgrounds. For some of us, we feel confusion, not understanding what repentance is or why it's even necessary. 
One thing that I often feel and struggle with is that I feel a sense of failure, that if I need to repent, then somehow I'm letting God down or I'm failing in my life as a Christ follower. And so this view of repentance as being scary or dark, that is spiritual attack from the enemy. The enemy wants to deceive us into seeing repentance as that rather than being what leads us to righteousness because if he can scare us away from repentance, then he knows and makes our hearts vulnerable. And so to put on the breastplate means that we need to re claim repentance, Christ followers. And so when we look at repentance through the lens of Jesus the King, we see that repentance is beautiful. We see that repentance is foundational. We see, we see that repentance is not the act of the immature, but rather repentance is the mark of the spiritually mature. And it's not always easy, but it's what grows us. See, throughout the years at Rocky Peak, I like this picture that Michael has often given when he's talked about repentance. That to repent means that you turn around and you change directions. You put distance between yourself and your sin because of the power of Jesus in your life. It's a complete transformation built on the power of Jesus and how we think, what's in our heart, and therefore in how we act. Repentance is not simply saying, I'm sorry, but it goes deeper than that. Repentance, through repentance, what we are doing is we are declaring, we are affirming, we are reaffirming that as Christ followers, we have a big view of what it means that Jesus is king. Because when we repent, when we drop to our knees, when we confess at the feet of Jesus, we are saying, Jesus, you are king, and I'm not. You are in control, and I am not. Jesus, I have not been submitting to you, and I want to be back under your leadership. I want to listen and follow. Jesus, you forgive, you restore, and you transform the state of my heart. And through repentance, not only do we declare and affirm a big view of Jesus the King, but through that, we experience God's epic view of your identity, of our identity. Because when we go before the Lord in repentance, when he transforms our heart, when he removes the sin and the darkness and the hooks that the enemy has gotten into our hearts, we begin to see what God sees in us, that we were meant to be carriers of his righteousness, that we want nothing to impede our pursuit of God, our ability to be his ambassadors. That is where the beauty come from. Yes, there is a godly sorrow that can work through guilt and shame that will lead us through repentance, but that is not where God leaves us. In beautiful repentance, God reminds us of his love. He restores us. He empowers us. He lifts us up, he, and he puts his righteousness on us for our lives. Repentance is how we fight 
as Christ followers because it is through repentance that we declare and act that because of the power of Jesus, the enemy will not root himself in my heart, but the righteousness of God will. And to fight well means that we need God to continue to grow our paradigm of repentance. See, another way that the enemy has attacked us as the church when it comes to our view of repentance is that in one sense, he wants us to be afraid of it. But another key attack is he wants us to see repentance as an occasional act, as something that we do very few and far between, only if things of the sin in my life has gotten significantly severe. The enemy wants us to see repentance as kind of like an emergency fire alarm. Break the glass in, terms, in case of an emergency, but only then. And you see, the deception is in seeing it as an occasional. But what has been one of the heartbeats of our entire series? Warfare, spiritual warfare, is not occasional, but it is every day. And so if we are going to engage in spiritual warfare every day, that means we need to be fully equipped every day, and that means we need to put on the righteousness of God every day. And when we look at the Gospels, at the life and teachings of Jesus himself, what we see is from the very beginning, he taught that to experience the righteousness of his kingdom, we do so through the act of repentance. Not just once, but the regular practice of repentance. There in your note sheet, I put several scriptures First from Matthew 3, when John the Baptist, the first prophet in hundreds of years, came on the scene to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah, this is what he says. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent, for God's righteousness is near. Later on in the next chapter in Matthew 4, after Jesus' temptation, he begins to preach. And as you see there on your note sheet, his first message, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Then just two chapters later in Matthew chapter 6, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us a very famous model for how we are to pray. It's called the Lord's Prayer. And there in your note sheet, one of the key models he gives us of how we are to regularly pray is, and forgive us of our debts. God, I repent of my sins. As we have also forgiven our debtors. And so it starts in my heart and as I repent, I experience his righteousness. And what's the progression in that model of prayer? That equips me to then bring reconciliation and God's righteousness to those that have wronged and hurt me. Repentance is how we experience God's gift of righteousness. You know, something we've talked about before in this series that was laid out in John's gospel is that the devil, the enemy, his goal is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And he seeks to do those things to our hearts, to our identity. 
And a key way that he does that is by keeping us away from repentance. But through the righteousness that Jesus imparts into us, through repentance, it does the, the power of God does the opposite of what the devil seeks to do. Through repentance, our hearts experience God's righteousness. And instead of the enemy stealing from our hearts, our hearts receive the beauty and the life that God gives. Through a righteousness, it's experienced through repentance, instead of the enemy killing our hearts, our hearts have a new life breathed into them regularly. Through repentance, rather than the enemy destroying our hearts and our identity, our hearts are empowered to stand our ground and to advance and to fight with reconciliation. There in your note sheet, another quote by Tony Evans. We underestimate the power of coming clean with God. Too often our prayers focus on how God can bless us, take care of us, protect us, and deliver us. But God has given us the key to victory through one critical move, confession. And so Rocky Peak, let me encourage you, family, if we are gonna be a church that represents the reconciliation of God, it begins in our hearts. It begins in our hearts experiencing more of God's righteousness and it begins by us being individuals and collectively being the church that is intentionally developing a regular rhythm of repentance. The enemy wants to take that rhythm away. We are gonna fight by taking it back. Now, if you're asking the question, well, what does it look like to develop a rhythm of repentance? I wanna direct you to download our summer Bible study. You can find it on our website at rockypeak.org. You can find it on the Rocky Peak app. And that's a study that we've been doing every week to dig deeper into the weekend service message. But this week in particular, the summer study is gonna walk you through an exercise of what carving out intentional time to repent can look like. And that's gonna be a great tool for you to take as a, as, a, as a starting point to then be able to mold and manipulate to fit your life. But it also goes along with the key question that we've been asking as a church throughout this month of August is regularly going to the Lord and asking the question, is there anything in my life that is out of alignment with you? And there's times when we know and we're aware and there's times when we completely are oblivious to the fact that our thoughts, our actions, our attitudes are out of line with God. And when we bring ourselves to regularly ask that question, the analogy I like to use, it's God revealing that there is a water pipe that is about to burst. And in that revelation, he can do something about it before it floods and cause serious damage. We put on the breastplate of righteousness by developing a regular rhythm of repentance. And as I wrap things up, as I invite the worship team to come on out and lead us in a final, time of wor and final song of worship, I love this quote there in your note sheet by one of my heroes, the late great Dallas Willard. Character is revealed most of all in what we feel and do without thinking. That's the righteousness, that a heart that is growing in God's righteousness. But to a lesser extent, it is revealed in what we repent of after thinking and what we then do as a result of repenting. 
And so as we go into this last song, as we go into this last time in our weekend service, I want to encourage you as the song is going to sing, because we is going to invite us to come to the altar of God. Let this be a time, Rocky Peak, in which we come to before the Lord in an act of beautiful repentance so that we may experience greater depths of his righteousness in our hearts. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, It's your righteousness that we wear. It's your righteousness that transforms our heart. It's not rooted in me or my accomplishment or my ideas or my control or my ability, but it's rooted in you and your kingship and your authority and your power. It is a beautiful gift that you impart to us. And the enemy wants to distract us wants to distort what that is, wants to keep us from, wants to keep us from experiencing more of your righteousness. And so a key way that we fight is through repentance. And so I pray that you transform our view of repentance and how it leads to righteousness, that instead of it being an act that causes fear or terror or guilt or shame, we see it as beautiful, as foundational, as what leads us to maturity. Give us the courage and the strength to be a church that is regularly asking, Jesus, is there any area of my life that is out of alignment with you? giving us the ears to hear and knowing that forgiveness and transformation happens through your power, not ours. And so as we sing this final song, we commit it to you, King Jesus. In your name, amen.